Let me tell you why I'm up here right now. I'm not preaching today. That's, man, I was, I was really hoping for a, oh, I got a, I got a hand clap of praise. That's all right. That's all right. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't mad uh, much. Uh, I tell you what, though, I, I've been, I've been known my whole life to be t- a tinkerer. I like to tinker. If things aren't going exactly the way I think they should go, I tinker with it until I figure out how I think it should go. Um, sometimes that turns out good. Sometimes that turns out bad, but it's always different. Uh, Aaron Allison, last year during our Christmas celebration for our leadership, introduced me as the great agitator of the church. And I am. But that's my job. That's what I do. My job is to agitate you according to the truth, to displace you from your comfort to a place of discomfort, because when we're uncomfortable, we move, and when we move, we move forward. Amen? And any church that sits still is stagnant and is already on decline, and this is not going to happen here. So I'm going to agitate you. Well, my my spiritual gift is finding people to agitate you too. <laughs> So, uh, Pastor Dave is brought in here today, has been asked to come today to agitate you, to displace you, to make you feel a little unsettled, uh, because there's some things coming down the road that we're going to have to deal with, and I want you to keep an open, pliable mind, and he has one, and I think he can get you to where you have one, too, if you don't already. I met Pastor Dave when he hired me. Well, I met him before that, but he hired me at Cornerstone Church. Uh, he was the executive pastor at that time, and I trust him. And I don't just trust him with my life, I trust him with yours. And that's that's a big deal. Uh, he said something to me one time, probably the first thing I remember him ever telling me. He said, the hand you shake today will be the blessing of provision for tomorrow. And I'll tell you, that's, tr- that's played out true. I've shaken every one of your hands and you've been the blessing of my tomorrow since that day. And I love you for it. And I don't know that I would have recognized you for who you are if this man hadn't have told me that back then. And so let's welcome Pastor Dave Dearman. Pastor Jim Kubik and his wife, Angela, are dear friends of mine. And we're colleagues in ministry and we encourage each other. We cry together, pray for each other, laugh together. We do more laughing together than we do anything else and uh, have a lot of fun. Terry Allen has been, a he and Sam Lee have been incredible blessing in my life. And uh, without Terry, uh, I wouldn't be here. Um, he was an encourager in a very broken season of my life and I'm thankful uh, for him, and now we get to encourage uh, pastors that are broken together, and it's um, it's a joy to to work together. I've enjoyed uh, Friday night with uh, the leaders of this church, and then yesterday spent time with uh, volunteers that were able to come, and just had a great time. And what I what I have found myself thinking at night in my hotel room after I leave here is that is that there's an anointing and um, a place of provision that God wants to take Launch Point Church that you have no thought of. You can dream about it, but you can't think about it. 
and and that God has a plan under the leadership of uh, Jim and Angela and and your heart for the community. I I watch the uh, social media and I watch the post and I see Pastor Jim has a he has a pastor's heart for the city, not just for the church. It's it's just there. You can watch it. He encourages pastors. We had pastors uh, yesterday with us in the uh, the seminar kind of thing that I did, and he has pastors that come into service here and then go pastor their church. He pastors pastors, and he pastors the city, and you're blessed for that. I really am thankful. Uh, my pastor in West Texas that I serve as executive pastor for calls me his old nerd. And I've come today, and I've been called an agitator. I want you to know I plead guilty to both. And uh, let's pray, and we're going to get started. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome in this room to lead us, to speak to us, to change us, to provoke us, to encourage us. I pray in the name of Jesus that in the next few minutes, this church at this point in their history and at this point in their destiny, that you would speak to each one of us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you today with the title of Pick Your Fight. So, I didn't say this early service, but I forgot to tell this story, but whenever I was in, in high school in the 10th grade, uh, really, probably in about the sixth, seventh grade, me and my brother played uh, Babe Ruth baseball, and we had the Hodges boys who were brothers on our team. So it was the Deerman boys and the Hodges boys, and there was always this comp competition about who was better. It was me, Tommy Hodges, I mean, my brother, Tommy Hodges, Dave Deerman, and then his brother, I don't remember the older brother's name. I'm scared of him. I don't even know his name. I call him Mean Mean Hodges. So Tommy Hodges, he was a pitcher on our team. He threw at my brother and hit him in practice. Well, I was a pitcher too, so I got my turn. So Tommy came for batting practice, and I beamed him twice as hard as I could. That was back in the day when we didn't hold cards up and we were stressed. <laughs> Mama didn't come running. You hit my son. I'm sorry. That was days when you'd beat them, baby. And it, <laughs> but then it was my turn. So then after we did that on that Sunday, the, the next week in school, Tommy Hodges goes and slams my brother's head in the locker. So me and my buddy Jackie, we meet Tommy in the dark with baseball bats and say, if you ever touch my brother again, we're going to, wear you out. I forgot that Tommy had an older brother with guys bigger than me. And them jokers chased me for a block and a half. I was running for dear life. I'm not kidding. And I was running like crazy. I ran into convenience so I can see it right now. Just bright. And I, I thought in there, whenever I was in there scared to death, I was just like, God, I'm going to wait right here. There's no cell phones. I couldn't call my mom and daddy to come get me. I had to get to a phone, but I was hiding. And that story came to mind when I thought about picking your fight. Sometimes we, you got to pick fights worth fighting. But when you pick your fight, you got to pick a fight 
when you have a bigger brother. I didn't have one. Now, here's why I say that. I want you to read with me in Scripture in, in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, 26 through 31. Now they departed and came to, back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them in the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And the Lebanites dwell on the east side of Nashville. <laughs> then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. They had been being whipped worked and just under bondage like crazy. God saw it, sent Moses, they were delivered. They came out of Egypt and they're walking across the desert toward the provision, the promised land, and they came to the Red Sea. When they came to the Red Sea, no doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, they had to wonder what was gonna happen. I would think that they were already pre-programmed. Now, the children of Israel already watched the 10 plagues. They had watched God manifest himself for their deliverance. They start walking and they start walking. They get to the Red Sea and I'm sure they were wondering because now Pharaoh and them were chasing them. I'm sure they wondered if the sea would part. The Bible says God gave instruction to Moses. He stretched his rod out. The water parted and the Bible says the children of Israel walked across on dry ground, got to the other side, saw the Pharaoh coming, and they wondered, I'm sure, that the Pharaoh, as he got in the Red Sea, that he was gonna come and kill him anyway in where they were heading. The Bible says God told Moses, turn back, raise your staff over the Red Sea, and the Bible says God waited till they got in the middle of the Red Sea, then closed it up, killed them. Now they're on the path going to, to the provision. They're going to the promise. And they get there and they say, we're hungry. Then the Bible says that they complained against Moses. Here's what it says in, in Exodus 16, verse two and three. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What? Now they'd watched 10 plagues, they'd watched the Red Sea part, 
they had watched the Red Sea close back up and destroy their enemies, the very ones that were beating them and taking the stick out of the brick to make it hard for them to make them, that had absolutely beat them and enslaved their whole families for 400 years, and then they get across the Red Sea and they start complaining because they wanted potted meat. Yet, we see that after they had spied out the land, they saw the provision, and the Bible says that the fruit was incredible. I don't know if you remember in those picture Bibles where they're carrying on the seven, they had them big old things of grapes that were all the way from the top of a man's shoulder to the ground, and they're calling. They had the promise of that provision in incredible grapes, not potted meat, filet mignon was ahead of them, and they got in a mindset because of fear and unbelief that they begin to complain with their mouth and thought that potted meat because it was safe, because they didn't have to work at it, because they would have, they were told what somebody, somebody was telling them what to do, but because it was hard in the transitioning to provision, they begin to complain and think about what it was to have it to eat. Then God brings those wafers out of the sky. Remember that story? And he said, in the morning, there will be these wafers for you to eat. Get what you need for the day, eat it, but it, it won't be there tomorrow. I will bring fresh wafers. I'll bring fresh vanilla wafers in the morning. I think that God may have brought vanilla wafers and then he brought Oreos. And then... <laughs> Then he brought cinnamon rolls. We don't know what it was. I don't think God, he, he's not ordinary. He's creative. I think, who knows what it was. And then they said, I'm sick of wafers. Now listen, isn't that a, they've seen the Red Sea. They saw God deliver them. Red Sea, present wafers. They said, we want meat. So God brings them quail but they wanted chicken. All because they were stuck behind and couldn't believe for tomorrow. They were walking so focused on what was here, they didn't hear the promise of God for the, his provision for them of better, of freedom. They were fighting among themselves fighting against authority, fighting against God, and yet it caused them to have to walk in circles. So, if you look at the Bible, the Bible says that they went and spied out the land, and, and it says, then Caleb quieted the people when all these doubters, all 10 were saying, we can't do it, we can't do it. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men had gone up and said, we're not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. Numbers 13. They're stronger than we are, yet they've watched the water and what God completely destroyed Pharaoh's army. And then in Deuteronomy chapter one, <laughs> it says, 
And in that past scripture on down, I think 35, somewhere around there, surely not one of these men of this evil, he says, because of their complaining, because of their unbelief, because they have complained about everything, even though they had seen the miracles behind and the provision was ahead, here's what it says. Surely, this is what the Lord said, surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good of the land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephthah. He shall see it, and to him is his children. I'm going to give the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was angry. Even you shall not go there. Talking to Moses. Remember Moses? He didn't obey God. He got mad. The people made him so mad that he lost it. And when he did, the Lord said, even you're not going to see it. And he says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. The Lord says, Moses, you're not going in, but you are to encourage your successor, Joshua. Here's what I want to say to you today. That building over there represents the future. But you're comfortable here. We know how to manage one door. Back in there, that nursery area, you're going to have way more diapers to change when you get over there. The challenge is going to be great. It's going to be four times bigger than this room. Four times. Four sections. At least this big. In that room. And the tendency, human tendency, is going to be to say, it's not like it used to be. The anointing is not the same as it was by the cigarette shop. <laughs> <laughs> there's too many doors the women yesterday lined up from the women's restrooms all the way around this place because there's one pot and in that bathroom I think I counted six and a couple of them are bigger so you six women at a time can go in there and visit while they go to the restroom but they go by twos and threes anyway kind of like the ark I've been through nine building programs. Nine. I've heard it in every nine, and I'm here today to tell you to, some things about guarding. I've heard it in all nine. The anointing is not the same in this building as it was by the cigarette shop. All nine. I've heard it. People walk in into a new environment, looking around like you're looking at a new gate. And when you get in there, you're like, the presence of the Lord is not like it was over there. I don't know everybody here. Look at all these people. Y'all okay? I'm going to be done and I'm going on. He told you I was coming to agitate, not aggravate. 
I built the building in Dixon, Tennessee. The sanctuary was about this size. We walk into a building that seat about five or 600 with a balcony. I walked in and I had people say to me, the anointing is not the same as it was where the red windows were. The first church in Dixon, Tennessee had red windows. It looked like we were in hell on Sunday morning and it looked like a brothel on Sunday night. (laughs) But because... We had been there for so many years. When we moved to a new place, the presence of God was not the same. And here's what I said, and here's what I'm saying to you before you ever get there. The presence of God does not change from location to location. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's in you. If the presence of God changes over there, it's because you changed going over there. And it's probably changed because you were complaining before you went there. I don't know why we have to have a bigger building. Well, I'm going to tell you why you have to have a bigger building because there's tens of thousands of people moving to this city that are going to bust hell wide open if we don't reach them. Right? That means we got to have more room. If this city's growing, you got to grow. We got to reach them. We've got to find them. But we've got to position ourselves so we don't walk in circles. You can pick your fight. You can walk in circles in the desert and wait to die and wonder if God's going to send you a vanilla wafer or a quail. You can pick your fight and walk in circles in your, in. see, God gives a promise, then there's always problems before provision. Always, always, always. He will walk you through problems before provision because when he gets a promise and you go straight to provision, you get spoiled and you start complaining. He walks you through problems so he gets your attitude right before you get there. And he also tests you in the problem if he can trust you when he gives you provision. So your fight, they're going and they're fighting. Now here's Joshua and Caleb though. They're walking in that desert and both of them have faith. Ten unbelievers. It's the way we kind of do church work in America. We vote. And if we can gather enough no votes, even though it's a vision of God to go forward in the promise, is everybody okay? I know that's not the probably the, the pro, I don't think that's a process here. But all over America it is. And churches sit stifled because people are afraid to move. They would rather walk in the desert and be provided for with meat and manna than they would to take the chance of going to fight for the provision and fight for the promise. If you're going to have the promise of a great marriage, you've got to fight for it. If you want the promise of a great business, you've got to fight for it to get to the provision. If you want the promise of great kids, you've got to fight for it. Them little jokers, when they're 13, they kind of go like their eyes roll in their head or something. I don't know. <laughs> Them jokers get crazy, you know. But you, you have the promise of a great family. You want the provision and see that to happen, but there's problems in the middle of it. And you can either trust the majority most of the time is saying we can't. Most of the time it's the minority that says God can do it. So here we got Joshua and Caleb. They're walking through the desert. They're about year, I don't know, they're, they're about year three. And they say, 
Because you got to be talking to the right people. The majority were negative. Joshua and Caleb weren't negative because they believed God would give it. But they had to walk in the desert <laughs> with all these knotheads that didn't believe. And they're walking, and they get about year two, and they say, listen, we started with a million, but we're down to about 899,000. We can make it till they all die off. Hang in here with me. And they kept walking. We're going to get to the mountain. We're going to get to the mountain. We're going to get to, Caleb was believing, I'm going to, God, you're going to give me that mountain I saw. It's what he said. You're going to give it to me, but he's having to walk. And they get in about year 29 and they're coming down there and said, Joshua, Caleb, we can make it, baby. We're encouraging each other in the Lord. We can make it through it. We're down now to 643,000. If 643,000 more will die in this daggum desert, we can get to the promise. God, kill them all. See, I would, if I was them, I'd say, God, let me be God, and I'm going to kill them and tell God they died, and then we're going to go into promise. But then it'll happen. And they just keep marching, and they keep marching, and they keep marching, they keep walking, they keep seeing the provision of God. Joshua and Caleb, because of faith, see the new sanctuary, and every time they walk by it, they think there's going to be hundreds of more people that are going to be saved, and there's others that are saying, I don't know if we can afford it. I don't know what the water bill is going to be. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? How are we going to mow the yard? How we? That's a big old yard. We don't have any yard to mow here. No, we just sweep up cigarette butts. No, that's, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> is this, is this, is this on, inter oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, so they finally have the last one die off. And Joshua and Caleb and the children that had been birthed during that time that weren't born in a generation of unbelief. They had been walking and they'd been watching. And Caleb and Joshua kept believing for what God was going to do. The last one dies off. Moses dies, passes it to Joshua. And the Bible says in Joshua 1, he says, Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Every place you put your foot is yours. He says it to every believer in this room. Stop doubting and thinking God's not in front of you when you're in the middle of a problem. That every soul, every place you put your foot, God has his hand on it if you know him. And every person you meet is going to help you accomplish the will and the plan of God for your life. And he says, be strong. When they have to part, they have to go across the Jordan River to get to the promised land. The first challenge, it looked like, see, all those people that died say, well, if God wanted us to go over there, he would have already parted the water. Well, are you serious? God doesn't part the water until you take a step of faith. Joshua got the plan. Ark of the covenant. Priest, step in the water. Parts it. And he said, follow the presence of God into the promised land. They followed the presence of God. They went in there. Then they get to Jericho. The Bible says the city was walled. It was fortified, but God had promised it to them. They had a choice to make. They could doubt and say, we can't take that city even though we're in the promised land. But God gave them a plan and he said, walk around the wall one day, then two times a second day, and then the seventh day. And you could just hear some church people, but they watched over a million people die in the desert. So they were watching their mouth now because they'd seen the problems behind there. And they begin to walk and they said, Front. and I promise you, after all them kids watched their parents die, 
If anybody started to speak faith, speak unbelief, now I'm, I'm going to touch you, but don't hit me. They would walk up to him and say, Shh. I ain't done. I'm not missing this one. Be quiet. <laughs> right? Listen, when God gives you a promise and you walk through problems and then you see God's walking you into provision, you'll tell people that are full of unbelief that cost you something behind and made you wait. You'll tell them, shh, Jim, shh. We're trusting God this time. We're believing God this time. We're not going to die. I'm not eating vanilla wafers anymore. I'm sick of them. I'm heading for them big old grapes that I can eat for a whole meal. Let me give you three things that I believe I'm supposed to say to you in being here today about going from, pro from the promise to provision as you go through this building program and as you walk through, because there's going to be many opportunities for there to be unbelief. Number one, stay in proper relationship with spiritual authority. You see, the children of Israel begin to talk against Moses, who is receiving direction from the Lord. Stay in right, proper relationship with authority and people that are over you. Pastor, yes, but I'm talking about people. God has established authority. And right now we are living in a nation that's moving toward anarchy. Don't run that way. Stay in proper relationship. They blame God after seeing miracle after miracle. Number two, keep control of your tongue. <laughs> Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. James 5, verses 5, I mean 3, verse 5 through 10 says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets the, the, the fire, the course of nature, and it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile, creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so." Hear me close. The children of Israel talked themselves into circles. The children of Israel literally talked themselves to death. Joshua and Caleb walked and talked by faith. I want to encourage you as you move forward and as you go and as things, you begin to progress and all that, that we walk and speak faith. Let's believe God for provision. Let's believe God that when you walk in that building, you're debt free. Let's believe God that when you walk in that building, that it's going to be full the first day and you're going to have to go to two and three services. I'm just made them really tired. But the fact of the matter is, we've got to reach harvest. And number three, walk with people of faith and not with the complainers and the doubters. I can promise you, if you get to talking negative 
It'll go downhill fast, and everybody wants to get in it. You know why? Because it kind of makes us feel good. I just got to get it off my chest. I just got to unload. But then you find yourself stagnant. Terry Allen, whenever I was in Bowling Green pastoring, one of the greatest things that brother said to me, I called him and I was going downhill. I was complaining about He said, here's what he said to me. Dave, maybe if you'll get all in, the people will get all in behind you. You remember saying that? Do <laughs> you know? I took his word at it. We got all in and the Lord gave us a $38,000 building. I mean, a 38,000 square foot building. It was, it was worth 4.2 million and the Lord opened the door and we got it for $500,000 because I shut my mouth and got all in. We speak into existence, life and death. And who we hang with encourages life or death. And if they encourage death, you're going to die with them. In the desert, always seeing the dream, but never getting there because you've talked and lived right here. Blaming everybody, saying it's their fault. Find you one or two that speak faith and walk in faith and walk in that company. Stay right related as you walk through this process before you get to, there, to that building. Determine, I'm going to stay in right relationship with spiritual authority in my life. Yeah, I'm talking about kids with parents, husbands and wives, in your church relationship, in the marketplace. Stay properly and speak truth about God. Number two, watch what you say. And number three, watch who you say it with. <laughs> okay? I'm going to pray for you and this church. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you, Lord. They're right now in the middle of moving to a place where they have had pictures and dreams and had the land and bought it. And there's a harvest that's coming for this church. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would rest an anointing on this place, that you would use them to impact this city and Wilson County in a greater measure than it's ever been measured before. I pray, Lord, for Pastor Jim and for Angela and the leadership of this church, the volunteer team of this church, and those that are in this room that will be a part of that team, that your anointing would be on them and your provision will be shown as they walk through the problem of getting there. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.